0: So if you're ready to be bloat-free, poo better, have more energy and become free from the fear of food, then you are in the right place. Hello and welcome back to the Nourish Gut Podcast. I am super excited today to be bringing you on a guest to talk about something that I haven't yet spoke about on the Nourish Gut pro- Uh, podcast and I think we're going to be diving into conversations that are really needed Um, and so I'm really welcoming on Sage King today. She is a diversity friendly naturopath and nutritionist specializing in reproductive health, preconception care, infertility, IVF support, pregnancy and postpartum care. With her empathetic and dedicated approach, Sage aims to guide and educate her patients through an evidence-based model to optimize their health and fertility outcomes, promoting healthy pregnancies, infants, and the postpartum recovery. Sage has a special interest in supporting the LGBTQIA plus and sex worker communities and all individuals assigned female at birth wanting to conceive. Fertility for heterosexual couples or same-sex couples with a known sperm donor or those undertaking fertility preservation is a key part of SAGE's practice. As an educator and speaker, SAGE contributes to practitioner education on topics such as preconception care and LGBTQIA plus inclusivity and reproductive health. SAGE has contributed to research alongside NICM, Health Research Institute investigating the impact of naturopathic interventions on premature ovarian insufficiency and pregnancy outcomes. SAGE provides mentoring for practitioners wanting to comprehensively support their LGBTQIA plus patients and is available for business consultancy to review website clinical and marketing materials. Holy moly, a huge welcome to you, Sage. You're a busy, busy girl, aren't you? You're up to a lot in the world. Thank
1: you so much for having me, Carly. I'm so excited to be joining you today and talking about all the
0: things that I love. We have lots to cover because I think, you know, you have such um, a f- couple of really strong clinical focuses um, and I think a few of them are really uh unique and not a lot of naturopaths focus on it um so I think yeah I welcome all conversation today um and I can't wait to get started so let's start by focusing in a little bit about the microbiome I mean I can't start (laughs) the podcast (laughs) conversation without talking about the microbiome everyone knows how much I love it so let's start there and let's discuss um the microbiome imbalances that impact fertility And can you also touch on what the potential risks of these imbalances are when it comes to our pregnancy outcomes?
1: Yeah, of course. So, uh, first of all, you and I have bonded uh, as students, I think, over how obsessed with the microbiome uh, we both are. So it's very fitting that we're here today. And I just want to acknowledge the land from which I'm joining you today, which is the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And I just pay my respects to their elders past and present. Um, For the sake of this discussion today, too, for our listeners, I think it's really important to emphasise the fact that when we're talking about female and male fertility, that it's specifically related to those assigned female and male at birth that haven't undergone any gender affirming hormone therapy and that there may be variations to that um, if they they have. Mm -hmm. So microbiome, we know, is responsible for about 95% of all of our genetic activity. And it accounts for uh, 29% in the gut and 9% in the vagina when we're speaking about uh, female reproduction. And so where we want diversity in the gut, and I know you talk about this a lot in your podcast with your listeners, we want, you know, an abundance of different strains of bacteria. And we want lots of them in there in the vagina. We actually want less diversity and an abundance of lactobacilli. So from a preconception perspective, our microbiome will impact our absorption of nutrients. So we think about things like zinc and iron and B12, and all of these things are responsible for cellular growth for egg and sperm quality, including healthy DNA replication for conception. But we also know that the microbiome is responsible for the regulation of sex hormones. So um, most commonly we hear, uh, you know, talk around microbiome imbalances in relation to specific conditions like uh, endometriosis and PCOS. And we know that with endometriosis that there's a strong link between uh, suboptimal diversity and abundance of the microbiome in the gut with endometriosis. And that is also going to influence how well they can uh, metabolize estrogen, for example. And we get an accumulation of estrogen, which then is going to influence egg quality and endometrial receptivity for implantation. So how well that embryo is going to stick in the endometrium. But because of the um, similar characteristics, I suppose, of endometriosis with autoimmune disease, you know, the gut's also responsible for that immune modulation and our immune system is also an integral part of conception as well. So that's all really connected to our gut. And from a metabolic perspective, so blood sugar regulation, uh, cholesterol management, our microbiome can impact those pathways and it has been shown to be associated with PCOS in that way and in fact it can be a bit of chicken or the egg and I know you speak about this a lot in terms of um, IBD for example is it's chicken or the egg is the dysbiosis there to create the condition or is the condition then influencing the dysbiosis so that's something that we also consider from a fertility perspective. We also can't forget the seminal microbiome in this. So for those are male at birth providing the sperm in these circumstances um, While well, the data is not uh, conclusive, there is emerging data uh, that is showing a uh, infective seminal microbiome with mycoplasma, for example, can then influence our uh, reactive oxygen species, which is then going to influence the uh, outside and the health of the sperm, so the morphology of the sperm, but also how well they're moving uh, and can fragment DNA just in small in vitro studies. But there's really exciting. Exciting info coming out around um, lactobacilli uh treating all of the above for oh, wow. microbiome, which is super interesting. And
0: so that's for uh female and male at birth? Yep, yeah,
1: exactly. Um, and they're specifically in individuals that haven't they're not taking any uh gender-affirming hormone therapy, which is where you take the opposite. Hormone mm-hmm. to the predominant one that you're assigned at birth. Yeah. And just to touch on quickly from a pregnancy perspective, we know that these types of infections, like um, urea plasma, for example, or bacterial vaginosis, can, uh, and actually, and also STIs in Gardnerella, I shouldn't exclude those, um, can influence gestational length and live birth outcomes. So, those types of infections can contribute to pregnancy loss, unfortunately, and also preterm labor. So so they're things that we need to really um look out for and the things that our microbiome influences from a preconception perspective can also influence pregnancy health so thinking along the lines of gestational diabetes risk any candida uh and potentially influencing uh nutritional um absorption for the baby
0: mm. i just i think it is so important like i don't think I mean, some people do. I think if you're seeing a naturopath, you will know the importance of the microbiome when it comes to trying to conceive and have a healthy pregnancy and birth and and baby. Um, But I think if you're listening, and this is all new information, just to summarise that, I think it's just basically saying that your gut health and the microbiome state within, um, you know, the vagina and also the semen is really, really important for not just conceiving but also pregnancy outcomes and preventing miscarriage and all of those things. So, making sure that you're, you know, doing all the stuff that I love yeah. <laughs> you know, before deciding you're ready to have a baby is so important. Like, you know, and this could take six to 12 months to get your gut right, you know? Yeah. So, I think doing all of this preventative work is so important. So, Sage, when patients are trying to conceive, can we talk a little bit about what they can actually do right now? Mm -hmm. Um, to improve their chances of a successful pregnancy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important to touch on as well what you said around you know preconception six to 12 months getting your gut right absolutely i think if we have the luxury of being able to do that that's always my number one preference but in some cases and i have really um complex ivf fertility come to me for example there's so much that you can do it's not necessarily uh naturopathic and then it gets to the root cause but if you can identify that there is that imbalance in the vagina for example we can acute Acutely influence that state of the vagina to then improve their implantation outcomes while we then work on the rest of the digestion and pregnancy so just don't want people to be um nervous if they do have these types of symptoms and they are trying to conceive and that length of time isn't necessarily
0: even a month long. like even within a month. Month, exactly. exactly within a month of changing your diet yeah. and supplements your microbiome can change so absolutely and microbiome- the same mm-hmm. quality yeah. Okay awesome. That's such a good point to make. Yeah. So it's always going to be individual as I'm sure your listeners know.
1: Um, And there's always things that from a general perspective, everyone can do, but always need to emphasize it's going to be individual. But for everyone listening today, if you haven't already, you need to speak to your GP about doing a thorough preconception assessment blood test. Um, And not just for you, if you're assigned female at birth, and you're trying to conceive with someone who was assigned male at birth. It's important that everyone gets an assessment because all too often I see uh, females coming to me saying, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what's wrong. It's not working. And the first thing I ask is when did your partner have a semen analysis performed? And the answer is usually never, or, oh, they did it two and a half years ago and it was fine. And then I assess them and it's male factor is the actual reason and you know she's been poked and prodded and actually the cause of their infertility is not her at all
0: what is the statistic on male infertility like i know i'm i, I know that i i knew it but i'm so out of touch now with you know being yeah. in the gut length. is it still like 30 40% or is 50% it yeah
1: yeah and not just because there's two parties so it's uh 20% male factor 30% combined male-female factor, which makes 50%, obviously. And uh, the most, I mean, the latest research from the WHO World Health Organization, which is a little bit not outdated, but it's the latest research we've got, shows that uh, uh, sperm quality's halved in the past 20 years. So it's there's not a case really that I don't see where male factors coming into play ever. So really, really important. And on that note too, there is a really big difference in um semen analysis assessment and interpretation and where you have them performed so um if we think about getting a semen analysis conducted just through a general pathology lab i'm not going to name any names just wherever your gp will send you to do bloods is not the most ideal uh place for you to have your uh semen analysis assessed And the World Health Organization states, and we all know that a semen analysis is like the gold standard from a male fertility perspective, but there's absolute room for error in the person that's interpreting those results. So my patients never have semen analysis performed through a general pathology lab. Mine will always go through a specific specialized andrology lab and they're usually the places that are um, attached to IVF centers and whether you're having IVF or not you can request your GP refer you to an andrology lab to have that assessment performed and there we know that we're going to have really accurate results um, with no luring into false senses of security because the semen analyses I see that are performed through general pathology labs are always um, over-exaggerated So they tend to lure my male patients into a false sense of security that everything's okay when it's not.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's not what you want. You know, we want to be striving for, you know, the most accurate information. I think that's, um, you know, really great information to be sharing. Yeah, Um, for sure. And even if you have potentially had that done, but you're still unable to conceive, maybe that is something, you know, a a very, the next, the very next step for you to try. Um, Yeah. And everything may be fine, but what if it's not?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then from a diet and lifestyle perspective, you know, there's so much information out there about what everyone should and shouldn't do. Diets and all the diets, endo diets, like all of it. It's (laughs) overwhelming, even to navigate as a practitioner sometimes. So I can only imagine how overwhelming it is for patients that don't have the level of training and education that we do. But generally speaking, the first things that I look at at an initial assessment are is anyone providing egg, sperm, or, or uterus smoking? How much alcohol are they drinking? So, gender inequality really shines uh, with preconception <laughs> in that the flexibility tends to be in the favor of males. Um, but, you know, five standard alcoholic drinks a week for the sperm provider is kind of the maximum safe dose. But that's not to say that rule applies for everyone. Some mm-hmm. people need less. Um, That's very individualized, but that's kind of the general rule of thumb based on the research. We look into caffeine consumption. So, you know, I'm not a um, caffeine purist in my practice, Um, you know, standard cup of coffee is fine in my books. But once we start to exceed that, then, you know, we look at making sure that how we can, um, you know, minimize the intake of caffeine from that perspective, both from a nutritional um, status perspective, but also there's some evidence to show that it can influence time to gestation or sorry conception. Um, I know you love your gut 40. I'm a big advocate for a huge variety of fresh fruit and vegetables. So my patients will aim to have like three cups of vegetables a day from varied sources, Um, two pieces of fruit and protein with each meal. And then looking at the types of carbohydrates that they're eating. So really simple swaps, white bread to whole grain bread, for example, you know, um, white pasta to legume or whole grain pasta. And it's usually about teaching them cooking methods around that as well Mm. so they're kind of the the fundamental places that I start and then from there uh you know it's really individualized to the person but lifestyle and exercise are things that listeners can absolutely do at no cost to themselves aside from the types of um, produce that they're buying really
0: Mm. and this is stuff that a lot of us kind of we intuitively know or have heard about already. I think these are things that are spoken about a lot, but it's just about, you know, um, potentially seeing someone for that accountability, you know, like so if you're listening and you're able to implement and you're like, great, I can do those things. But sometimes, I don't know, in my practice, it's about having that practitioner there, delivering that information so that you know that that is what's best for you it holds you more accountable and therefore you're more likely to do it because this diet and lifestyle stuff has habit change and that can be hard. You know, So, I think um, if you're listening and you're struggling like, cause th- some of those are the fundamental basics of, you know, how to get healthy, not just from a conception point of view and pregnancy point of view, but it's going imp- to improve health so many ways. If you're struggling to do that, then a practitioner is your next step and you don't have one so that you can be coached and supported and mentored with those changes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, that's individualized. I have some patients that want to see me monthly and they can implement that and they've got it in the bag. Other patients will be like, can I just see you in two weeks instead? So I know I've got a check-in point. Sure. We do that. I've got some patients at the moment that want to see me weekly through choice of their own, just for that initial kind of six to eight week stage to keep themselves accountable and, I have seen some, some really significant change in a short period of time and we have that financial flexibility for people to be able to do that.
0: Mm, awesome. I love hearing about, you know, we very much work really closely with our patients as well, sometimes day to day, and I think as practitioners in our industry we really need to be um moving more to that rather than just letting patients grow a whole month without touching base with them. I think we get better outcomes that way. So I feel very happy with you. (laughs) I'm sure you're getting excellent outcomes because of that. Um, So let's talk a little bit about now um, for those people who've been um, trying to conceive for around six to 12 months and they haven't had any success. Um, Maybe they've had a miscarriage or multiple miscarriages what would your advice to be or what would your advice to them be? What steps can they take or is there anything they can do now?
1: Absolutely. So first of all, uh, if you're listening and this is you, my heart absolutely goes out to you. I've supported so many patients through this and I completely uh, know and understand how unbearably heartbreaking and hard it can be to walk this road. So first of all, just know that it's not your fault and that there's absolutely hope in how you can improve your outcomes. I think the first important thing is to make sure that you've got the right health professional team around you in any variety that that is. So, you know, a GP that you can work with, a naturopath, a counsellor is also really important. I've got some counsellors I always refer my patients to in these circumstances. Sometimes acupuncture is really good and a fertility specialist, of course, and whoever else fits that picture. Um, There's a lot you can do to improve your outcomes when you have the right investigations performed and then the right personalised interventions to those but it's important to understand the medical guidelines for infertility. So if you are 35 years of age or younger, medically, your GP won't intervene or refer you further until you've tried to conceive for uh, 12 months or more. And if you're over 35 years of age, that window reduces to six months. Mm -hmm. So medically, that's, that's where we stand. But if you don't want to wait this long, you can seek naturopathic assistance well before this to understand your health picture. Um, And for my patients in those circumstances, I then will write referral letters to their GPs explaining the situation. And then, you know, usually we can get that assessment done earlier, but it's, It's really about getting the investigations done. So speak to your GP for a referral for a fertility specialist, especially if you've had, you know, two or more um, miscarriages. You want to get a general blood screen done, uh, and that's for all parties involved. And it's also worthwhile noting your family history prior to seeing your GP so you can really emphasise that for them. Like, does anyone else in your family have issues with fertility, any family history of autoimmune conditions, any clotting issues, um, you know, any diagnosed um, digestive disorders. All of those things are really important for your GP to know so that they can then thoroughly assess your circumstances. Um, There's also the possibility to assess fetal material, but it can be pretty traumatic if you're having a natural miscarriage at home when that happens. So, you know, in the circumstances where you're able to do that and feel like you have the capacity that can be helpful sometimes just to understand whether it's due to a genetic abnormality or not. Um, As we've mentioned, semen analysis through a reputable andrology lab and just making sure that when you do seek naturopathic assistance, that it's uh, a qualified naturopath that likely specializes or has experience in fertility um, so that they can functionally assess your results specific uh, to fertility. And then they can kind of help you navigate any further medical intervention. So a lot of the time, you know, patients are coming to me and asking which fertility specialist might be relevant in their case or, you know, interpreting um, some of the results that they've had around hermocysteine or clotting or immune, for example. Um, But before we get that complex, just seeing your GP and seeing if you've got any key nutrient deficiencies um, or if your blood sugars are out of whack um, or if your inflammatory markers are high, those things can have a profound impact on the success of a pregnancy And, um, you know, never underestimate the impact of low vitamin D and iron levels.
0: So amazing. And I think, like, the biggest takeaway for me in what you just said is not waiting until 12 months. Mm. Like, there is just so much that you can do and just keep investigating, you know. Absolutely. There's an answer there. There is an absolute reason as to why whatever's happening to you is happening, yeah. Um, and once you're able to find that and unlock that and put in place the things that are going to improve that, so much can change. So, oh. I mean, I don't know, I'm gonna just be cutthroat and say, Don't wait 12 months. Yeah, <laughs> don't stick to that guideline, don't accept that yeah. guideline and, wow. and just take it into your own hands. Like, um, yeah. And that's oh. what naturopaths are, you know. I'm an atropath. I'm always going to say we're the best. <laughs> you are me both, gal. <laughs> but I will hands down say you guys, um, you, you know, where you guys are and your special, your, your team of specialists is hands down um, the most amazing um, people. And so I would highly recommend anyone in this position to get yeah, seek out Sage and Um, the team because I think you will be in excellent excellent hands so thank you and
1: I just want to say as well around that not waiting is if you have experienced pregnancy loss and multiples um my biggest pet peeve is but we know you can get pregnant Mm -hmm drives me crazy that's not the point in all of this so don't take but we know you can get pregnant for an answer because it may be related to you if you're carrying the pregnancy or it actually may be an issue with male factor in the background that's then creating that pregnancy loss so it's always I mean we're applicable um important to investigate both
0: Absolutely. Takes two to tango, hey? For sure. <laughs> so I'm going to start talking about the microbiome again. <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> um, Surprise, surprise. Yep. You, uh, is there anything microbiome related mm-hmm. or microbiome considerations, specifically talking about preconception pregnancy IVF that's often missed? Mm.
1: Oh, D- do we have um, none of <laughs>
0: day but what what's your first what are the most common ones that you're finding that's being missed um that you'd like to bring to the forefront for everyone yep totally so uh
1: where to start let's start with our foundations so I think from a digestive perspective and a microbiome perspective that you know things that you promote and I promote a lot of my practice like mindful eating and bowel retraining can go a long way in terms of improving digestive function and fiber. If anyone had a place to start, that would be it. I think it's important to note that uh, dysbiotic gut doesn't necessarily a dysbiotic vagina and vice versa, So they're not always connected. So it's important to look at both because what's happening systemically doesn't necessarily happen um, locally in the vagina Uh, The next thing would be around the seminal microbiome, which we've touched on a little bit today. So um, doing a semen analysis, we're also looking at DNA fragmentation and anti-sperm antibodies at the same time. Um, They're things that often get overlooked in a general assessment when not performed through an andrology lab. From a LGBTQIA plus community perspective, there's a lot that um, I think practitioners miss a lot, as do the mainstream medical health professionals. And it needs to be considered that, um, you know, same-sex couples assigned female at birth do have higher rates of bacterial vaginosis through intercourse. And um, for everyone, the use of sex toys also needs to be considered hygiene is so 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 important when it comes to influencing both the penile and the seminal uh, sorry the seminal and the vaginal microbiome and so making sure you're washing your sex toys if possible um making sure that you're showering before sex or um Washing your hands, is, it sounds really basic. It's like everyone in COVID learned to wash their hands. <laughs> but we need to also learn to wash our hands before sex, especially when we're touching each other in that way and we can really change and shift our microbiomes. And if you are having penetrative sex with someone that has a vagina, with someone that has a penis, you want to avoid having anal to vaginal sex for that cross-contamination. So um, if you want to have anal sex, fine do it at the end, just to make sure that you don't cross contaminate it with your vaginal microbiome. And on a sexual partner's perspective, we also need to consider that some of our patients, regardless of whether they identify as LGBT or heterosexual, or, you know, are in a heterosexual presenting relationship, may be polyamorous. Like what number of partners do these people have? And, when there's an infection in one, we have to consider all of the other sexual partners in that window. So if you're trying to conceive and you are in polyamorous relationships, it does have to be a one in all in kind of approach to this conception because um, whoever is carrying the pregnancy and whoever is uh, supplying the sperm have a really big responsibility for that vaginal environment. So that's a huge consideration. And from an IVF perspective, we touched on a little bit earlier, but there's so much you can do to improve the vaginal microbiome acutely in a short period of time and shift that microbiome to be optimal
0: in that window for when transfer is occurring amazing and so is that through supplementation dietary like what 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 are you kind of what's your go-to
1: yeah so my go-to well I'm doing lots of vaginal microbiome testing at the moment now that we've finally got something like that at our fingertips which is amazing so good um, so if there is any infection present, we'll do some uh, local antimicrobial treatment and then using things, uh, using probiotics that are lactobacilli strains only. So usually with strains like Rhamnosus, Ruteria, Crispatus, um, and I will also use um lactulose in that as well so ask if you're using any prebiotics <laughs> yeah so using lactulose as a prebiotic so just dipping that into some lactulose and inserting that in the morning and then inserting um probiotics vaginally overnight which they do act as pessaries my patients are always like you want me to what mm-hmm. um but they do break
0: down because of the acidity in the vagina um and or Anyone listening, lactulose, yes, it is the over-the-counter laxative that, you know, Yeah, yeah yes, um, but it is also not many people know about this. So when I use it uh, for my gut patients, you know, in microbiome reports where I'm trying to increase certain strains of beneficial bacteria and things like that, um, it can act as a prebiotic. So not everyone understands that lactulose can be a prebiotic and therefore influence um. Yeah the amount of the bacteria um so um different to a probiotic you know a probiotic you're putting the species into the environment a prebiotic is increasing the growth of the species that already exist in that environment so that is what sage is talking about is using lactulose as that prebiotic to improve the environment and this the, the um species within that so i just thought i'd say that because i know yeah. it comes up <laughs> a lot they're like what a laxative yeah like, I like...
1: <laughs> there's a wave a bit of, um... Uh, a bit of worry that they're going to be running really quickly Um, but it's not always the case and um, Mm. yeah it's just you have to be mindful though some of the -the over-the-counter lactulose will have other additives and things in it so you just want to make sure it's a pure lactulose I've got a specific one I'm sure you use as well Um, vaginally yeah so
0: that's you know in a nutshell there's my top tips there's a lot, isn't there? I think we have keep going. Uh, I think, um, you know, and there's, there's so much to consider, you know, with all of these different relationships and partners. And um, so I'm sure that you've touched on, you know, something for so many different people. Um, mm. Can you tell me a little bit more? Because I think we've spoken a lot about, the clients can we just touch on before you go because I know that you also work in the space of practitioners Mm -hmm. um, and I think I'd really like to have a conversation around how us as practitioners can be more um, have more inclusivity and be more patient-centered in our practice um, because not everyone I think, is fully aware um, of, of the, the stuff that you have and the knowledge that you, that you have um, in this area. So can you just touch on that um, before we have to say goodbye? Yeah, of course.
1: Got another 90 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> so, look, inclusivity is so important because everyone has a right to be seen. And a lot of the time the LGBTQIA plus community is often overlooked starting at website, social media intake forms. And, you know, when, and I'm gonna talk about it relative to fertility, cause that's what we're talking about today is when you have a patient in front of you, are you asking them their name, their sex assigned at birth, not their gender? So there's a difference between those two. So the sex is what you're assigned at birth and that's not changeable. That's male, female, or intersex. Whereas gender is how someone identifies. So if you've got gender, woman, man, other on there, you're actually not getting the physiological information that you need as a practitioner to be able to treat that patient. Um, And just popping down pronouns, you don't need to write the whole big list, but just having name, sex and pronouns goes a long way. And then you're able to actually extrapolate if someone's pronouns are different to those cisgender individuals. So people whose sex assigned at birth matches their gender identity, like you and I, we're cisgender women. um, You'll be able to work out whether they are non-binary or transgender from that. Yeah. Yeah. Within clinic, from a fertility perspective, whenever someone's like, I'm trying to conceive, the first thing I ask is, uh, are you doing this on your own? Are you providing the egg? Do you have someone that's providing the sperm? Do you know them? Are you getting that from an IVF clinic? And Do you have a partner that is potentially carrying the pregnancy even though you're providing the egg? So you need to work out what their relationship status is, their sexual orientation without being... intrusive before they're ready to trust you in that moment, but just understanding those um, circumstances that they're in. Because I've got some patients that uh, this applies to as cisgender women. They're single and they're conceiving with clinic-recruited donor sperm. Or I've got same-sex lesbian couples that have a known donor and I see all of them at the same time. So, you know, it's really about who's providing what, because at the end of the day, We just need egg, sperm and a uterus. And all of those three things can be provided by different people in different circumstances.
0: And I think it could become complicated and confusing and hard as a practitioner if you don't get that right, you know, Mm -hmm. for the right outcomes. Absolutely. You you know, I, I love how you're... Um, you spoke about having those conversations without being intrusive and creating an environment where they feel safe enough to give that information to have those conversations. And I think that comes back to just the way that we speak and, and, and present ourselves in clinic and being approachable and empathetic and all of those things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just, uh, if you feel awkward asking questions that you shouldn't feel awkward about, your patients are going to feel awkward and unsafe in that moment too. So you need to practice using gender inclusive language. So I always promote practitioners use Uh, non-gendered anatomical language so you would have noticed today I speak a lot about eggs sperms and uterus I don't talk about men and women when I talk about fertility at all but when you're asking patients around their reproductive health you have to get comfortable about asking them around their sexual practices their number of sexual partners do they have one or multiple uh, and really investigating their symptoms so if they've like got a history of thrush or bacterial vaginosis, then you know, you need to dive deeper in those things, even if it makes you feel uncomfortable, because it could be the underlying reason that's bringing them to you in that console at that day.
0: Mm, thank you so much for having that conversation. And I know that there's more <laughs> that conversation <laughs> yeah. is a lot bigger. So thank you for summarizing it and um, you know, sharing what you can um in the space of today. My um pleasure. so You're up to a lot this year. We were just chatting before we jumped on um, and started recording about the exciting things that you've got coming up um, for both patients and practitioners. Can you just tell me and everyone um, who is listening uh, a bit more about what you're up to, how they might be able to find you and work with you, um, you know, if they're feeling after listening today that they would like to be able to, yeah, find you and work with you? Right, So uh, for
1: patients, we've got a um, upcoming webinar called Preconception Care Explained on Monday, the 3rd of April at 6.30pm Sydney time. Um, And that's available through our website at RhiannonHardingham.com. I'm presenting that with my lovely and esteemed colleague, Josephine Cabral. We are simplifying the preconception experience. So like top foods for fertility, top environmental tips for fertility, just to kind of condense all of that to make it easier. And we've also got an IVF explained um, patient webinar and available on our website for people so that they understand how IVF works, the names of medications, what they're actually doing to their body and side effects, et cetera. So they feel really empowered in knowing what's happening to them along the way uh, and what questions to ask their fertility specialist as well is really important. And then for practitioners, if they want to know more around inclusivity, I actually have a free practitioner uh, webinar on LGBTQIA plus inclusivity in clinical practice. So you can download that from our website at any time. Um, and I've also got a two part webinar series coming up in at the end of June for two sessions on LGBTQIA plus conception. So we're going through, uh, you know, the history and politics around queer conception, but also, um, you know, how to navigate Medicare and uh, consider different nuclear family structures and different processes involved in Queer Conception. So I'm really looking forward to that.
0: Mm, How exciting. You really are busy, busy. Well, all the best with all of the upcoming things that you have going on. Um, And I also know that you're speaking at a few um, uh, practitioner association and, and and things speaking gigs within our community of practitioners so all the best for those I know you're going to absolutely rock it because you're a superstar and you know your stuff so <laughs> have you. fun I love speaking I find whenever I do a speaking gig for a company it just energizes me so hopefully you can channel that and um bring the energy as well mm-hmm. um A massive thank you for being here today and sharing your knowledge um, and passions with us. Um, And, yeah, I can't wait to have you back on one day. I think that we can dive, you know, even deeper. I think that the world of the microbiome um, pregnancy IVF is um, so much deeper than what we've even been able to discuss today. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and we'll see you next time. Well, thank you so much for having me, Carly, and I hope to see you soon. Did you like what you heard? Leave us a review. If you'd like to learn more about my Nourish Gut program or the Nourish Gut Kids membership, head over to my website. Would you like to be a part of a community that gets it? Join our Facebook group, Nourish Gut Community, or come and follow me over on Instagram. All of these links can be found in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next time on the Nourish Gut Podcast.